0: So to be clear, we are regathering today, not reopening. You cannot close the church of Jesus Christ. And we haven't closed Radius. As you know, we've continued to share with one another via video and share with one another by taking care of our community and taking care of one another. So today, if... If you're at home, we're really glad you're at home and you chose to be at home and you're joining with the Church of Jesus Christ at Radius, and well, we really appreciate that. I, you may have driven by this week, one of the campuses, and you see the stages going up, so there's gonna be outdoor services at all five of the Radius churches, and they're regathering. They're deciding to get back together. And some have chosen to be in a garage and be together and watch it on, on online like you are right now. Oh, that's great. That's what the church has been doing for a couple thousand years. Just so you know, nothing has ever kept the church from gathering. Nothing. I ask the folks in China, Ask the persecuted church across the world. They don't need a big stage. They don't need a big building. They find places to get together because... They want to share in the joy of Christ. So I'm glad you're taking this in. And one of the reasons we produce it at two times on Sundays is because we really want to share in the experience. It was God's design for the church. Why is the church so intent for 2,000 years to get together, to gather? Is it the law? Is it that Hebrews 10 passage that we should not neglect the gathering? Nah, no, I don't think so. Is it, is it about money? Do we, do we need to get back into business so that we can pay all the bills and people put money in the box or in the basket or whatever it is? Well, that's not true for us, and I hope that's not true for anyone else. The reason we, we keep wanting to get back to gathering is because, well, it's because we want to share in the joy of Christ. It's it's just fun being with one another when we are all filled with the joy of Christ. I want to remind you a couple verses that we talked about last week. And quite honestly, by the end of the message, it was Mother's Day and I left these short. And I want to read to you again out of chapter two and just, I just want us to think them through and then we'll tie them into chapter three. So this is Philippians chapter two, verse 17. And the apostle Paul who wrote the letter to the Philippians, he says this, but I, Paul, will rejoice even if I lose my life. And if you remember, he's in jail and there's the possibility of him being executed. Pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. So he's comparing how he's pouring himself out in jail for others, like uh, someone who would pour out wine before the offering. And, and, and in some ways, it almost feels like it's a waste except for that it's, a, it's an offering to God. He says he's pouring himself out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful servants' service is an offering to God, and I want all of you and catch the word to share that joy. So, what's he saying? He's saying he wants us to participate with him to share in the joy of what it feels to me as I read this passage like he wants us to share in the joy of service, specifically. Service of Jesus Christ. Service of making ourselves second and and adoring Jesus and holding him high. Goes on to say, yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. So there's this, here's Paul, he's the great leader. Wrote 13 plus books of the Bible, right? He uh, is telling these folks at this smaller church out in Philippi, hey, we're sharing in this together. It's a great honor to serve the living God, and it's a great honor to serve shoulder to shoulder. And the reason we want to keep getting together, whether you're getting together online or whether you're going to be in the Lexington parking lot or the White and Old parking lot or out in the grass at Rocky Creek or across the street in Saluda or under the tree over there in Irmo, we want to get back together because we want to share in the joy with one another. Um, been watching this uh, little series on, on TV about the Chicago Bulls. Maybe you've seen, it's called The Last Dance. I can remember all those games. I'm old, so I saw all those games. As a matter of fact, I haven't been surprised by much. I've, I remember a lot of what's going on there. And there's this great debate whether they're the greatest team ever. And they talk about the Lakers and they talk about the Bulls and, and just, just the sheer determination of Michael Jordan and how he drove that team. And then you got this team here in recent years, called Golden State. And maybe you paid attention to them. Maybe you don't like them. Maybe you love them. But here, here's what Golden State was great at. They shared the ball. <laughs> I don't know. They have some great players, right? Like Steph Curry. They got Durant on that team. You got this, these great players on the team, and yet they're willing to give up their shot to get somebody else a better shot. And they do it night after night after night. And you know know what becomes really obvious watching them? They're full of joy. All the sharing makes them full of joy. They enjoy play as competitive as it is and even as angry as you can get in the midst of a game. There's this joy to them of playing the game. I, I don't know, you, I might get some emails about this, but I think they beat the Bulls. I think they share the ball better. I think that it would pressure the Bulls so much they wouldn't be able to hang. And it's simply because they were centered around this idea that this is us, it's not me. It's all about sharing. Check out chapter three. So whether you're taking this in online or whether you're out in one of the parking lots or uh, fields beside where we meet, um, we're working through chapter three of Philippians. And I, I just want you to catch some of the language right out the gate. Whatever happens, Paul says, my dear brothers and sisters, you notice he does this over and over. He constantly is addressing them with love and care. He loves these people. And then he says, Rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. I do it to safeguard your faith. Wow. Like, rejoice in the Lord. Let me help you with that. I read uh, a commentary that said, just a simple line, it says, Rejoice in Jesus. I don't know why that hit me different, but that's what he's saying. Rejoice in Jesus. And he says, I'm going to keep telling you this. I'm going to tell you this over and over and over and over. It's why we have the Lord's Supper out every Sunday and we're missing doing that. If if you're not able to join us, we do it over and over and over because it safeguards your, my my faith. Because we're rejoicing in Jesus in the act of Christ dying on the cross. Rejoicing in Jesus is kind of like I don't hope you did this well last Sunday. You rejoice in your mom, right? And, and she gets all happy about it. My boys did a great job Sunday. So big ups to the Reeves boys. They had this skit work. They put on suits. And if you saw them dance, they, well, I'm not sure they can really dance, but they attempted to dance. And they let their mom video it. They had music on. They had all this stuff they did for her. I was out of town. They, they put on this show. You, you know what Cheryl loved about it? They rejoiced in her. And here's, here's what's interesting. As they rejoiced in her and they shared that rejoicing between the three of them, they had joy. It's, it's why we love getting together on Sundays as a church. We get together because we have joy in Christ. And what's really cool through this COVID season, if you're at home and this will be your 10th Sunday, where we haven't been able to get together, we can still rejoice even through a screen as we do this together. And maybe we're gonna do this for a season. I'm gonna be the pastor of the online church for a while. So i look forward to continuing to do it, but we're supposed to have joy, rejoice in Jesus. Paul reps it and reps it. He wants to secure, he wants to protect, safeguard their faith. Uh, one of the things that has been particularly interesting during the COVID season. As I read Philippians, I can't help but take us and connect us to Paul as he's, as he's held in captivity, in prison, a lot, a lot of folks would suggest that he's, he's on house arrest. A lot of us feel like we've been on house arrest, like we're locked down in our homes. And he's saying to these believers in that position from jail that you should rivet your attention on Jesus. Right? The way to get over the discouragement of being on lockdown is by taking your attention and placing it on Jesus. And, and what's interesting is he's not just saying place your attention. Because sometimes when I place my attention on Jesus, I slowly slide off of Jesus and I start looking at me and I feel like I need to do something. I need to work harder. I need to accomplish something to please Jesus. And instead, Paul says, no, fix your attention on Jesus and rejoice in him. And then, and you'll be encouraged. It's not always just absolutely that simple, but that is the fundamental truth of the scripture. When we rejoice in Jesus, it takes the pressure off of our situation. Then Paul begins to talk some smack. If you like smack talk, then you love Philippians chapter three. He starts with this, rejoice in the Lord and it all sounds nice. And it's as if he looks at some people that are messing with the church at Philippi and he begins to speak to them and he says this. And, and, you know, sometimes when you name them without looking at them, he says, watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say they must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. I I don't know if you've ever been a good smack talker, but. Uh, (laughs) you got to be a little creative and then you can chuckle after what you say, but he is addressing them. He's addressing them aggressively. You can actually feel a little anger in his voice because he believes that the dogs, the Judaizers, I don't know if you've ever heard that term, but it's a group of folks that are really proud of their heritage. They're proud of their activity, of the things that they do. And they particularly hold this, this, uh, uh, religious ritual of circumcision high over the Gentiles. And so they look down on everybody else and literally these Jewish Judaizers, they, they, they call all the Gentile folks who aren't circumcised, they call them dogs. And so Paul flips the script on them and he calls them dogs. He says, he, say, he calls them dogs and then he actually makes fun of circumcision in front of them. This, this rite that they've that the Jewish folks have done for hundreds and hundreds of years. He pokes fun at it. You know why he pokes fun at it? Because all they're doing is cutting off a little skin. All, all they are doing is, is exercising a ritual and there is no heart connected. So he actually, in the NIV, he calls them uh, mutilators of the flesh. You dogs, you mutilators of the flesh! flesh, all you do is cut away some skin and you feel good about yourself. This has always been about a change of the heart. For the Jewish folks, from Abraham forward, it's always been about cutting off this flesh to show the world that my heart is aligned with Yahweh. And so he says, hey, we the Christians, the folks that believe in Jesus, we've actually died to ourselves, and we've aligned ourselves with the living God. We're the true circumcised. You feel the tension growing as Paul speaks, and he identifies that one group of people, and he begins to put pressure. And he is—he's not even close to done. Check it out. Though I could have, he says, "We put no confidence in human effort." It's a, it's a great line. We put absolutely no confidence in human effort. Uh, the, the NIV says, "We put no confidence in the flesh." There's there's a little bit of fear there that I think this could confuse you. When I went to Clemson, uh. Back in the day, walking across comp- campus, and there's a guy. He looks kind of like me. He's about my size, but his hair sticking up, sticking, sticking straight up. And he is walking with a strut like he owned the place. And I'm like, this guy, he looks just, what's he so confident about, right? He just, he looks just like me. And I, I was pretty insecure and trying to figure it out. So I watched him a couple times. I saw him walk across campus, and I was like, I'm going to try that. So I got a little, little gel, put it in my hair, made my hair stick up, and I started walking different. It's, it's hilarious. It was faux confidence, but after I lived in the faux confidence for a little while, I began to become actually a little bit more confident. I went out for this, what they called club football team, and my confidence was growing. I could catch the ball, and they... They started me, and so I catch the ball, and I, I, my confidence growing and growing. And I, I just want you to say, when he says have no confidence in the flesh, we're not telling our 19-year-old guys at Radius that they ha- can't have confidence in their athletic ability. We're not telling our, our 16-year-old young ladies at high school that are brilliant that they can't have any confidence in the brain that God made. We're actually all made in the image of God, so you can have confidence in the flesh. You just don't want to let it get away from you, right? I still remember, we went and played some team in North Carolina. If you don't know how club football works, you don't have to be very good to play. And uh, these guys were grown men, and I caught a ball coming across the middle, and this guy tackled me, and he laid on me. He felt like he's probably 240, but he felt like 300 pounds because I was 157, and he laid. I couldn't get him off of me. I'm like, ref, get him off of me. Get him. And there's, there's, this, there's this confidence in the flesh until you meet 240, and then it kind of zeroes you in on who you really are. So we certainly want the folks at Radius to know who they are and use their gifts. They can be athletic, they can be intellectual, they can be musical, and we, we go across the list. We want you to be confident in those gifts and use them. But if you take any of that confidence in it, and apply it to your right standing before God, then it's way out of line. As a matter of fact, it's this very, very dangerous trap It'll lead to your destruction. It'll divide our church. It'll wreck relationships because constantly as you put confidence in you, not confidence in Jesus, for your future with God, then, then you begin to compare and contrast with all the other people in the parking lot or even sitting in your home as you take this in with other people. You you're always comparing yourself to one another, and it's just the opposite of living in joy, of sharing joy with one another. Check out how it reads. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. So he looks over at him again. Hey, you want to have this little competition about who's the most religious? Let, let me walk you through it. And then he begins to unpack it. <laughs> I would have loved to seen him if he'd have spoken this to him. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. A lot of them were circumcised later, and if you're Jewish and you grew up in a Jewish home, it's the eighth days when you're circumcised. That, that would show he's a little better than them, if this is what it's all about. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin and a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I don't know if you know what's going on, but he's beginning to show them, hey, if you want to compare apples, I, I'll show you who I am. And, and, and really what he begins to do is he goes back to his birth, something that he didn't even earn. And he tells them that he's, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews, which means his given language, his first language is Hebrew. That's all I speak. My mom and my dad were Jews. That's what he says when, when, when he's explaining this. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. You remember I, the first king of Israel, King Saul, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. You remember when, when all the tribes split up and two stayed in the south, Judah and Benjamin, the good guys? That's us. I'm, I'm a part of those people. Now part of any of that, That's a, he was born into that and he is, I'm telling you, he is, he is showing them, hey, if you want to be proud of your race, I'm, I'm way more qualified than you are. <laughs> There's been some horrendous stuff in the news lately. Certainly this story out of Georgia that has uh, kind of moved to the top of the newsfeed in the last couple of weeks. Uh, continues to highlight this deep problem among mankind throughout history. And in our country, this systemic racism where where the system oppresses people. You realize those two dudes would've, would've got away without a trial if that video not come out. Certainly here we at Radius, just like Paul was about to explain we have no pride in where we came from, right? Because my mom and dad were white and my pride, mean, there's no pride, that, that, that accomplishes nothing. Because my mom and dad were black, that accomplishes nothing. Because we were Hispanic or, or Asian or, or, or Indian or, or whatever, that, there's no pride in that. As a matter of fact, if there was ever a group of people that could have pride in their race, it's the Jews, right? Right, Father Abraham, God chose Abraham out of all the peoples of the world. He chose Abraham. And then there was King David, and then, most important, Jesus actually was a full blooded Jewish man, also all God. If anybody has a reason to be proud of their skin color or where they came from, it's Jewish folks. And yet, the church throughout the history, throughout its history, and certainly people all the time somehow equate pigment of their skin to the greatness. It's just, it's just foolish. So let me just remind you and coach you, if, if you don't know how to handle this situation, if you have a friend that's African American, that deal in Georgia is a monster deal and it's on their mind and they're either mad or they're tired. Of watching this stuff happen over and over and over. And I'm I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, you ought to get on the phone today and call them. (laughs) Don't have a single answer, just care. Ask a question, listen to what they say, take it in, because in the body of Christ, race means nothing. Right. As a matter of fact, he, he's arguing in this passage that all of our confidence is in Jesus. That's where all the joy is. That's why in heaven, we're going to have all the nations right right here. We're all going to be together and we are going to have this joy in Jesus together. And we could care less about our culture or color or language. It's going to be all about Jesus. So right now is the great time to go to a brother and sister and weep with them. Be sad with them. If they're angry, listen to the anger. (laughs) Don't over-identify, right? Just listen and be there. That's who the people of God are supposed to be. Paul transitions out of what he was born into and what he could be proud of just because he was born into it. And he goes to achievement. He goes, hey, if that's not enough, if y'all want to have an achievement showdown, let me show you what I've done. He actually says, he goes, I was a Hebrew above Hebrews, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. The strictest sect of Jews. He was a part of the the Pharisees. I've heard some writers say that in order to be a Pharisee, you had to memorize the first five books of the Bible, right, the Torah. You had to memorize the whole first five books. They were serious about morality. They bent the rules on occasion, but they're always comparing to others, their morality, and they would hold themselves up high. He says, bro, if you think I wasn't zealous, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So you think you're zealous by making fun of these people? I persecuted the church. I had Christians killed as he looks across at the Judaizers. And then he has this crazy line at the end. I obeyed the law without fault. NIV says, I was faultless. (laughs) What does that mean? Nobody's faultless. Pretty interesting, I think that uh, when you're consumed with self-righteousness, when you uh, are are in every way trying to please God with your activity. Let me tell you right now, there's some folks at Radius doing this. When you're trying to please God with your activity, eventually you have to change and realign the rules and write some new rules just to protect yourself so that you could be faultless. I can imagine Paul writing it down with a chuckle. I was faultless. And then he, uh, he bails on the whole argument. It's a great bail. He explains though he could compete with them and win, that competition is worthless. Check it out. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You believe that? Everything, everything else is worthless compared to the value of knowing Christ. The, the little headline on, on the top of the page in the NLT reads, the priceless value of knowing Christ. It would be easy to read this passage and get all caught up in, in that previous passage part, right? And, and talk all about how the law doesn't get it done. But, but what he's saying is it just pales. In some ways, I feel like he's saying, rejoice in Jesus. Why would you want to compete with one another? Why wouldn't you just want to enjoy sharing in the work of Christ and sharing with one another? Why would you want to consistently fail and look at your failure right in the face? Why wouldn't you want to rejoice in Jesus and rest in his love? For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. I I, I really want you to pay attention to that because in a minute, he's going to use the word faith. And I want to show, what, show you what he says. He said, I counted all that, all that performance, all that stuff that I used to think made me righteous, self-righteousness, I counted all as garbage. Why? So that I could gain Christ. Let me tell you something, if something's stealing your joy, it might be your activity. Like you might be working so hard to try to please God that your Christianity just has no joy because you feel like he's watching that and what he really wants you to do is he wants you to lock in on him. He wants you to see him for who he is and take joy in it and rejoice in him. He says, I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. The NLT reads like this. He says, not having a righteousness of my own. In America, we're independent, right? So some of the stuff that's going on right now is is really stressing us because of our independence. And so one of the ways that we communicated the gospel throughout the the, uh, years in the United States has been that we have a personal relationship with God, which is absolutely accurate and true. But sometimes I think that that thing gets a little carried away and it's all about me. And the apostle Paul right now says, it's not about me, not having a righteousness of my own. He says, instead, he says, not having a righteousness of my own through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. I, earlier, he says, I'm found in him. The only way I can be righteous is to be found in him. Which, just let me tell you, as we close this little section, should make us together, should make the church of Jesus Christ absolutely together. Listen how it reads, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. So you and I, I hope you have, we've chosen to believe in the blood sacrificed by Jesus on the cross because we knew we could not achieve in any way a relationship with God. And so we depended on the blood of Christ. You and I believed. And because of that belief, we both got this rest and it makes us want to share right? We're sharing with the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We're sharing in it. We're willing to put ourselves in that kind of servant position, which makes it really easy for us to share the ball because this whole thing is about him. It would be a shame during this COVID season when our nation is going to divide over whether to wear a mask or not for the people of God to get all jacked up about something stupid like that. Some of 25% of Radius gonna wear a mask because that's how they feel. 25% are think this is a hoax. They're not gonna wear a mask and there's 50% in the middle and it would be one of the dumbest things ever for the people of God to divide over that when we're connected by the blood of Jesus because we can't accomplish anything. We should be together. If anybody in the United States ought to set the tone for how to walk it together even though we have different views, it's the church of Jesus Christ and it sure enough better be Radius Church. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power of him raised from the dead. Paul hoping he's going to get resurrected from the dead. Well, he he might be looking forward to the rapture. But the words in here seem seem to uh, trend a little different. The, the actual word, in the Greek word in here says to be raised up from among the corpse. So it's as if, uh, I don't know, it's like a zombie movie, right? Like, like we are alive despite everyone... Body else being dead and so he goes on to say I want to suffer with him sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. So he's, he's saying I'm going to be I want to act like a man who's alive though I was dead. What's he pointing to? He's pointing back to all that effort right circumcised on eighth day right I'm a Pharisee I memorized the whole Torah I stayed away from sin with like 10-foot pole kept me away from all the sin. I, I, I could compete with anybody as far as morality because I don't want none of that. I want to act like one of the guys who raised up that's full of life that realizes that he's come back to life from being dead. That stuff is, is dead to me, and I'm alive in Christ, and I want to act like it, and I want the world to see it. And he looks at the Philippians because there's a little disunity there. I imagine they weren't arguing about mask or when to get together, or anything like that. Instead, they, they seemed to have a couple of little theological issues and they were, they were bickering back and forth and he's continually in a really kind of nice way in Philippians, he's calling them back to our purpose as the church to be centered on Jesus. In this particular passage, he's saying rejoice in Jesus. And then chapter two, just right before it, he's telling them to share in that joy, share in the joy of serving Christ together. When we did the chicken the other day and we're able to give all that money away to the community, that's radius, that's us sharing in the joy of what Christ has trusted us with and we can give it away. We're gonna keep doing that. Let me just take this passage and pray it over you and uh, I'll look forward to seeing what he does with us in the coming days. Thank you for these minutes, Lord. Thank you for this passage. Oh, that word share just worked me over this week. Thank you for that. Help me, Lord. Help me rejoice in you. (laughs) You know, I like to hustle. I like to get things done. And sometimes I'm more excited about the stuff that I get done than I am about your sacrifice on the cross. And I'm sorry. I pray for our my family taking this in online right now, that they'd examine their hearts in that way. Lord, we get arrogant about the dumbest things. And you know we're gonna be tested in these coming days and weeks and months. As you demonstrated in the chapter before Jesus, we wanna be humble like you, we wanna take a servant position and we wanna care for others. Help us share in that servant-like attitude. Even as folks take this in in their homes, Lord, we we together in our different homes across the Midlands, we pray for those that are gathered in the parking lot and and out in the fields beside a couple of our buildings. Lord, we, we really want you to meet them just like you're meeting us in our homes. We want you to meet them in those locations. Make it a great day for Radius Church to be together and to share in your joy. We pray in your great name, Jesus. Amen.